This week's winner of the podcast contest is Matthew Hankins. So congrats, Matthew. We're going to be sending out a RailroadKits.com kit to you as well as a koozie. So we're going to take a one-week break, just one week, everyone, to rework the uh, weekly podcast contests. We feel like we could be making it a little bit more interactive, maybe come up with some better ideas. So a one-week hiatus, and the contest will be back, and we're going to give away a kit each week. As as always, it's not going anywhere. Don't worry. But a one-week break, uh, A, because we want to refresh it, and B, because we were talking with Brett last night from Sierra, Sierra West Scale Models that we actually just forgot to even add it into this week's episode. So this was just a last-minute recording to get it going. And... Um, where my dad and I are going to sit down and come up with a couple better ideas for the contest just to kind of freshen it up. So we got a long episode ahead from uh, Brett at Sierra West Scale Models. So let's jump into that. Thanks for listening, everyone. I also wanted to just give a quick message out to all of our listeners. If you're not currently subscribed to us on YouTube, you should head on over to our YouTube page, which is just youtube.com forward slash HO Scale Customs. Or if you're going to do it from your phone, just head on over to your YouTube app and find us HO Scale Customs on YouTube. We're doing a lot more videos. Currently, we're in the middle of a how-to series where I've been posting videos pretty frequently. Um, I'm trying to do a few a week on uh, the step-by-step. I'm breaking a Craftsman kit down step-by-step into the small micro steps to complete a Craftsman kit. And then the next series, we're going to do a little bit more advanced techniques. So make sure you head on over to our YouTube channel and give us a subscribe and check out those videos. We also put our podcasts up uh, if you're interested in that. You're already listening to it on your other device on our YouTube channel. So everything you get here, you can get on YouTube, plus some really awesome videos. That's it. Let's jump into this week's episode with Brett from Sierra West Scale Models. How's it going, everyone? And welcome to episode 96 of the Bench Time Podcast with Todd and Brett Wiley of HO Scale Customs. We have an exciting guest this week uh, in, in a lineup of this month's like huge blockbuster amount of guests. So we have Brett Gallant of Sierra West Scale Models. I think that's, yeah, sierrawestscalemodels.com. So I'm going to hand it over to my dad, who's going to bring Brett on to the show. And again, we thank you for joining us. Thank you, Brett. I uh, appreciate you being here and uh, taking your time out to uh, do an interview here with us. Uh, we've had several of our guests and uh, several of our High patrons have asked to have you on and We've, we we have one of your kits and we haven't put it together yet. We just got it. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> That's um, okay. There, that, there's lots of kits out there that need to be built, so they're always looking for a friendly uh, a home to be built. So, well, uh, this we, one we, was a gift from a friend. Um, so you were aware of we yes. we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to do something special with this one just because it's a it's a kind of a you know when you get a gift from someone else in the modeling community you always want to do something cool with it so uh, for sure which we'll, which uh which one do you have um i have it it's a one of the utility it's, sheds it's isn't it shed yeah yes, it's it's the uh one which shed is i can that? get it in a second tool yeah, shed yeah. i bet you it's the tool shed uh, yeah it's the other person did one of them and he gave us the other one oh so, yeah it's the line side shed. the line yeah. side yeah. storage shed we're not mentioning cool. him but you know who we mean so yeah, <laughs> but um, um, I do want to I do want to say one thing real quick. This is going to get confusing when my dad says Brett because yes, yeah, I'm not sure. going to know who to answer. Sure. But so I'll just I'll just assume he's saying your name. I can just go, hey son. <laughs> no, that's weird. Don't say that. <laughs> that works perfect. Brett and son. The only problem is that's what my dad called me for you. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Uh, we so, can work with that. Anyways, thanks for joining us, Brett. Um, 
yeah. we're going to just dive into kind of like give us the the story on Sierra West uh, scale models. You have a lot on your site. You do O scale and HO scale. So I kind of want you to talk about both because we have listeners in all different scales. I know that. Before we get on the Sierra Oop. West scale models and the background of that, which I want to hear oh, all yeah. about, I want to hear about Brett's background because he's also, he's not just a designer, he's a modeler as mm-hmm. well. So where did you all, where did you start with that, Brett? Yeah, I guess uh, I was, I grew up in mainly uh, San Diego and Chicago. And uh, when we moved from San Diego to Chicago, I got a basement. And um, I was probably about at age 11. And I'd always been attracted to modeling. But at that point in time, living in Chicago and the great railroad history Chicago had, this would have been in uh, the early 70s. Um, I decided I wanted to, you know, have my own 11-year-old railroad empire. So uh, (laughs) for some reason, I don't even know how, the local hobby shop decided that I needed to buy these $37 (laughs) kits that were in these bright yellow boxes that I Ah. was the perfect customer for that. And as an 11 year old, I mean, that was crazy expensive. Um, Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that was how I was introduced to craftsman kits were those early, you know, fine scale kits from George. And and really for whatever reason, that, that impression of the details and the board on board modeling and the weathering and, and everything that encompasses craftsman kits that stuck with me. And even though I didn't model continuously um, throughout my teenage and the college years, the, the love was always there. Mm-hmm. And one day my mom was cleaning out my childhood closet and basically said, if you don't get these things out of the closet, I'm throwing them away. They're taking up all the shelves and I, and I want to store stuff up there. So those things were my dioramas that I had built over the years. Oh, yeah. And that kind of rekindled it, you know, <laughs> I got back into modeling. And uh, that was about 30 years ago. And about five years after that, I decided, oh, I'm going to make a craftsman kit. And uh, so that was 25 years ago. Offered my first kit up, ran an ad in the December 95 model railroader. And uh, that was it. And we were off and running. So, so you've been doing um, it for 25 you know, I think years. Like, yeah, the next year yeah. will be my 25th anniversary of, of, of doing this. Which nice. I, can't, I, I can't even imagine. I don't feel old enough to be in this hobby nonetheless manufacturing for 25 years but oh my here we are that's awesome <laughs> that's awesome yeah, yeah. now to- now what what a crying shame that would have been had <laughs> those yellow boxes and all your dioramas that you built be thrown into the trash oh my word you yeah know? and i don't think my mom really would have done that knowing her she probably <laughs> would have done something with them i mean probably something unsavory like put them in a garage in dallas texas where yeah. it gets 150 degrees in the summer <laughs> however um, it, it was kind of, uh, kind of the kick in the pants to, you know, get back into the hobby. I, I my, my wife at the time was pregnant with our first mm-hmm. child. So, you know, you're at that point, you are kind of looking to settle down a little bit, if you will, and try to find home type hobbies because you're right. not going to be going to the movies and things like that as much with a baby in the house. So sure. it was just the time, everything, the timing was just perfect. Uh, I think it was at about the same time that um, George Selios published his uh, Franklin and South Manchester book, and mm-hmm. I had visited the layout for the first time, and we oh. just kind of like all these things kind of came together to make me realize that you know I, I loved this enough that I wanted to at least try to make a run at doing something part time. Right. right. Didn't didn't really think that this would be, you know, what I would do for twenty five years, but uh, <laughs> you know who, who knows who knows where where it takes you right when you start something. Right. And what what was the first kit? Uh, my first kit was the Blue Sky Company Warehouse, and uh, 
That was a uh, design that I had done several years previously, a scratch build. And uh, I actually had done three or four scratch builds, just combination of photographs from magazines, local buildings, and just kind of a hodgepodge of stuff. And uh, that, for whatever reason, I chose that. And, and that I did that in HO scale 25 years ago. That was the first kit. And then about 12 years ago, I released it in O scale. I see that. Oh, I've done that you have it up on your scale. site here. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it, it was really successful. Um, I mean, I was really pleased. I, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. It, it you know, is one of those nail-biting experiences. Those those full-page color ads in the December issues of Model Railroad are, are not cheap. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, oh. you know, instead of <clears throat> spreading the advertising dollars out, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do just gonna do it, and I'm going to put it in there, and I'm either going to sink or swim. I mean, one of the two. And I can remember um, after that, issue hit the newsstands and was mailed out. I mean, that was back in the day. I mean, that was, you know, before computers, I mean, before the internet, that was still when people looked forward to the mailman bringing their, you know, their hobby magazines. Um, I can remember sitting there waiting for that phone. When's that phone going to start ringing? And I, and I was, you know, I was really happy because the phone did start ringing, but man, yeah, it was kind of unique because um, everybody in the industry and, and in multiple hobbies, not just, model railroading they were all doing metal castings um the people that had preceded me that had done resin casting um just frankly had not done a very good job and the castings were um heavily coated in a silicone mold release um they were just poor quality and so still uh, uh, resin castings had a really bad day Right. And I had to overcome that because um, I wanted to use resin for a lot of things because I felt it was a superior material for some things. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, my first show was the following year. It was a narrow gauge convention in, uh, in your part of the world, in uh, King of Prussia. And, um, I, and that's right outside of Philadelphia, right? Am I thinking correctly? Sure, yes. Yeah, yeah. it's not yeah, far okay. from us. You're about, that was um, about an hour and a half or so from us here. Okay, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you're part of the world for sure. So I can remember being in this, uh, you know, as many conventions are, poorly lit hall. Um, we with my little table and my little display with my model standing there. And, I mean, nobody knew who I was. Not one person knew who I was. Right. And I, I think, I mean, you know, five people came up to me the first day who had seen the ad or something. But then people started coming up and talking, and the whole conversation was, ooh, resin. So I had to overcome that <laughs> initially, which was a huge hurdle because – um, people really had a bad taste. You had a, you had a stigma to overcome. Thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So what and, what and, was and, the what was kind and of it's come a long way since resin. I mean, yeah, amazing, oh, yeah. It's you know, a, the, the the detail that comes out. In fact, I before we get any further on that, I I prefer working with resin myself on a on a detail cast part. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, you know, you look at quality metal castings and there are a lot of guys in our hobby that make quality metal castings and sure. a lot um mm-hmm. it's it's not easy to to mask you know it, i t- this is a conversation that i've had many times with people over the years this is a real right. common question that i get from my somebody asked me about this yesterday um you know how do i make my own castings? how do i cast stuff and i'm like you know there's a lot of stuff on the internet it, it, it's not hard to make 50 castings what's hard is to make 5,000 of the same thing consistently quality up yeah exactly it, consistent it, exactly so um metal is is so much quicker than resin to mass produce things but the problem with metal is no matter how hard you try 
you always are going to end up exposing a little bit of what's underneath your paint and weather. And in metals case, it's shiny silver metal. Whereas with resin, not only is resin porous, um, so whatever you're doing on top of it, the paint and the, we- and, and the weathering has a tendency to stick better just by the nature of the material. Uh-huh. But if you do rub a little up, a little bit of, a, of it off in handling, you're not exposing shiny metal you're exposing the bare resin underneath. And for me, um, it was real important for me when I started out using resin. I wanted them to look nice because mm-hmm. most of the resin that people had used was either a transparent yellow or a solid white. And, mm-hmm. um, and it just looked bad. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it as far as the, the quality of the material. The product just didn't look good. So um, I ended up working um, with the company, and, I, and I, I literally still use the same resin today. It's the, I, the very first resin I ever bought, and it's the exact same resin I've used for 25 years. Um, they're in Southern California, and they provide a lot of resin to Hollywood props, things like that. And it's not some weird, magical, high-quality resin, but their big thing was tinting and coloring. And so that was, I think, what gave me something unique that people – it's got like a tacky, like a tacky tone to it, right? Well, yeah. It, it, there's, I actually have about five or six different colors that I use. Oh, okay. and, and <laughs> I actually kind of mix it on the fly when I'm mm-hmm. pouring it. So, um, I mean, while the you know the colors don't range very much, I mean, if you look at the boxes of castings from right. week to week, month or year to year, they heck even decade to decade, I guess um, <laughs> they they do um, you know they do change a little bit, and and it's just when you open the box of castings up. It's kind of cool because it's, right. it's all these different, you know, rust and like you said, there's khaki and there's browns, um, right. earth tones, things like that. It's kind of unique and different, or, or it was. Um, right. So that and was it, always. And like you said, no, if, but, if you scratch if you scratch the paint off, it, at least it only exposes a, an earth tone and not a metal tone. And then don't get me wrong, I'm not going to knock metal castings either. Um, we, uh, I love all castings. I just prefer working. With the with the resin ones and um, right, you know, so right. and I think their detail is is you know incredible. What, what can be done. well inherently the the process. I mean, all metal castings are made the same way. They're in a centrifugal yeah. spin casting machine. Um, right. So and and the limiting factor in that more than anything is the rubber and mm-hmm. and the type of rubber you use to make metal castings cannot hold the detail um, as well as the type of rubber that you use for. Um, resin casting. Now, the metal molds last for years and years and years. The RTV molds, which is the type you use for um, resin casting, last uh-huh. for weeks. So they're very different materials, but the resin castings are, um, they, they, they harden, they go from liquid to solid under pressure in a pressure pot. And so when you're spinning something at 500 RPM or you're pressurizing something at, you know, 35, 40, you know, PSI, there's a big difference in how much detail that material is going to take off of the mold. Um, So yeah, that, and that's why resin has a higher detail. And then I I developed some interesting techniques in actually making my molds, which are really unconventional. And I think that also helped get a lot of detail out of the castings, the resin castings. I, I, my metal spin casting is, I mean, you couldn't be more traditional. I mean, it, it, the molds are made a very traditional manner. The masters are made in a traditional manner. The castings are made in a traditional manner. So, um, but my resin is unique um, in a lot of different ways, including the way that the actual molds are made. So, so like I said, they're, uh, the ones I've seen uh, from you are just amazing and beautiful. Uh, and and your your 
some of the models I've seen that you painted. The ones that are on your website, on the gallery, are they models that you have built? Well, there's two things to look at on my website. If you go to the actual gallery, none of those are models that I built. Those are customer-built models, Okay. Um, customer-submitted photographs. All the other models on my website, the majority of them I built, but if, if you look at the main page of each kit underneath mm -hmm. the first photograph, it will tell you. There are several people over the years um, that have helped me either a couple people have actually built pilot models for me on some, on some of the kits, just a couple. Right. Or there's quite a few people that um, have actually provided me with, uh, you know, they may build a wall and send me flat walls um, right. and I put it together. So, but yeah, the majority of, of the actual product photographs are kits that, yeah, that I've done um, with some help from my friends, if you will. I, the gallery is 100% customer built, customer submitted photographs, which I'm really proud about that I have so yeah. many customers that are I that think that's awesome. That, that, yeah, I'm really, I'm really, and I've got, probably got um, um, remiss. It's so hard to up find time to update the website. I've probably got five or six. Got a customer yesterday that sent me a beautiful set of photographs of the HO scale uh, twin mill sawmill that he built. So, oh, that's uh, But awesome. my forum mm -hmm. got a great forum that is Sierra West specific and there's a yes. ton of customer photographs on there where they actually do build threads which mm -hmm. I think is pretty common in our hobby. Um, you know, the step-by-step -step tutorials and, and, you know, here's page one of the manual. And oh, here's, it's a, it's know, an amazing forum. It's, it's a, it's an awesome forum. I belong to it. Um, and, um, it, it's, I, I get on there when I should be at, at my desk working sometimes <laughs> and, and things are slow at my desk. I sometimes, uh, go to my favorite there on top of the bar and hit, uh, Sarah West scale models and, um, pull up the forum and sure enough, I'm in there reading away because there's everything cool. in there, tips and techniques and all kinds of ideas from everybody. And uh, there, there's some amazing uh, ideas that I've not seen before. And I'll, I'll talk to you about the forum in just a moment. I want to get back to the kits here real quick. Um, sure. One, one of the kits that I see, um, and I've seen it, it's probably the most visible kit that I've seen in photographs all over the Internet or on Facebook and on Instagram and stuff, um, is your kit is uh, the shipyard at Foss Landing. And um, I think that's one of the most, when you look at it, you just see it and you go, oh, there it is. That's the Sierra West shipyard, you know? Uh, that's that's right. it. And, um, you know, is that one of your better sellers? or? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've sold a ton of those. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love that kit. I mean, I, I don't know how you can be a model railroader and not love the combination oh, yeah. of water and, and rails. I mean, <laughs> it's too you know, attractive to not try to model. Now is, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, my new kit is the Riverfront. I mean, that's, you know, the name kind of speaks for itself. But that's yes. kind of a neat kit because, uh, like I said, I grew up in San Diego. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a Southern California boy at heart. And, and like you were saying, I'm different because I'm not part of the Northeast group. Right. Um, so that gives me a completely different, and that's, that is part of the reason why I specifically chose my name, even though I wasn't still on the West coast. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a, uh, little tourist area in downtown San Diego called Seaport Village. And there is a restaurant out on a pier. And I don't remember what the restaurant's called, but it's been there since I was a little kid and it's there right now. Um, and it's, you know, overpriced seafood for tourists, but good. And it is, it was the inspiration for the building and, wow. uh, from the shipyard. And then my good friend, Dave Ravella built a, uh, scratch built an O scale diorama with a ship being constructed. 
And uh, I can't remember, I think Dearborn, Michigan, narrow gate convention. I mean, we're going back 15, 17 years, something like that, 20 years maybe. And when I saw the ship that he had built, um, it was like the perfect, it was just, oh my God, if I can combine that ship with this building that I've had in my mind with these, from this tourist area in San Diego, that would be a cool kit. Um, So that's where the shipyard came from, just kind of a combination of one of my inspirations and a building. I think what makes it stand out is that you have, it's not just the building, you also have the ship that's under construction. And it looks like something you would see if you would go to like a museum on a diorama, you know, well, this like is Mystic Seaport. Yeah. I mean, yeah, or whole, like Mystic Seaport. Absolutely. Yeah, it's that whole feeling. Yeah. And you know, and that's one of the cool things about waterfront, unless you're looking at lighthouses, mm-hmm. but waterfront dioramas on the West coast and the East coast, they can kind of tend to blur the lines on what coast right. you're looking at. Right. Um, which is kind of cool because I mean, and it makes sense. Cause I mean, I mean, if you've got a building on the water, I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's the Atlantic or the Pacific. I mean, it's still water, so there yeah. has to be some commonalities. So, yeah, and that's kind of neat. I mean, part of oh, that yeah. is kind of a nod to the Northeast influence. and Right, and I mean, you could use that in any in any oceanfront or waterfront scene uh, from oh, yeah. any I mean, region. Absolutely. Yes. I, have, I have customers. I mean, I have tons and tons of customers in the Northeast. Um, and, I mean, there's not much I've done that is truly so West Coast that somebody that is modeling something in the Northeast couldn't um, right. couldn't use it. I mean, you know, the, the sawmills and everything I've done, yeah. I mean, those are definitely West Coast-type sawmills. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, sawmill modeling, the, the typical sawmill modeler customer is not living on the north in the Northeast. They're living right. in, you know, the Pacific Northwest or, you know, Southern California or whatever. So... Um, yeah, but the shipyard is kind of a neat combination of the West Coast influence and, and the Northeast, for sure. Now, now a lot of your models that you build um, or the, that you produce, uh, are they primarily all laser cut, or do you have some board-by-board work on them, like like some of the um, fine No, my uh, yeah, my my philosophy has always been. Um, I mean, I utilize lasers wherever I can, mm-hmm. but I don't replace the modeler with the laser. Oh, and gotcha, so man. I do a ton of board on board. Um, I've never been a big fan of injected molded styrene windows. Just not, yeah. nothing against, I mean, <laughs> nothing against the guys that make them and use them. I mean, I just, it, for me, yeah. I mean, if, I mean, a two over two or a four over four is, is a window. I mean, that's right. just, you know, there's nothing fancy about that. That's just a common window. Sure. But I try to incorporate unique windows and door styles in my kit. So I, like a lot of my, a lot of my, doors and windows are laser cut material we love um, laser cut doors and windows oh yeah, so, exactly. they're so well, that, fun to yeah, work with they are and and you can print your own personality on them where mm-hmm. and i don't mean in the assembly i mean you don't want right. to install stuff up, upside right. down um but <laughs> you know the coloration and you know when, when you've got a, an injected molded styrene window i mean you're pretty limited as to how you can paint it and weather yep. it. I mean, it's pretty, exactly. and, and like i said i'm not don't want anybody to misconstrue my comments as, no. as negative or bashing. It's a, it's a personal choice I've made from the beginning. Well, um, one of my first acquisitions was a laser, mm-hmm. but not in lieu of modeling. So I, I do very little laser cut kits, if you will. They're more laser aided. So board gotcha. on board on top of a laser cut sub, you know, awesome. sub base sub wall. Well, and yeah. your to to hit a point real quick about the kind of the plastic or styrene injected molded molded windows 
the they're they have their advantages and they have their disadvantages, and we've talked about them on the show previously mm-hmm. in other episodes many times. But the one thing, and you kind of alluded to that, or you're getting maybe you're getting that way, is they when you throw those windows on one kit and then you have another kit that has the same the building has the same pack of windows that comes with it basically they still look like the same windows so with what you're doing and what a lot of the other laser cut companies are are doing when they include their own laser cut windows is it's yes it's a four by four or four pane window but it's still a little bit different than the other four pane window that you did or you or you cut before hundred percent brett hundred percent i mean you that is exactly why I use the laser, and it might not, it and it you. might not be a hundred percent noticeable when you first look at it. But when you look a little deeper into that window, you're like, "Oh, look at that! That that's got a different sill, or it's got a different pattern on top." And that's right. that's what well, makes it, it cool. It, exactly. You know, here's the thing. I mean, I would say the majority of my customers do not have layouts. Um, they don't run trains on a daily basis, and they that's don't us. have hundreds of buildings. <laughs> but well, well, I mean, and that's me too. I mean, most of mm-hmm. us don't have that commitment of time or space right. to have the dream layout. And we might someday, mm-hmm. but we don't now. Um, and that's part of the beauty of this hobby is, is the dreaming. I mean, the armchair modeling and the dreaming and the collecting. I mean, there's no – that's what's so neat about this hobby and so many other hobbies. I mean, nobody can tell me and nobody can tell you how to enjoy the hobby. The exactly. Personal, the personal expression of what you enjoy, and a lot of it is the nostalgia, you know, being a kid – are, you know, your grandparents, whatever, making that, bringing that feeling back, and model railroading does it beautifully. Um, but for the customers that do have layouts and do have dozens of buildings, you know, they might have 15 fine scale kits and a bunch of false scale kits and from South River and Sierra West. If all of us use the same kitschy or grant line windows again and again and again and again, the monotony is, is obvious. I mean, it's oh, very yeah. obvious. But when oh. they're interspersed with a bunch of, like you said, the it may be a four over four, but the dimensions are slightly different or the sill's a little different. Or when you branch out and you start having some unique style windows, you really then add a lot of flavor to the overall appearance. And that's something that I've tried to bring into a lot of my kits. My weathering techniques mm-hmm. have, have changed over the years. Um, partly I, I just, I, I, I've said this before a thousand times to customers. I can't imagine doing the same thing today that I did 25 years ago because it would just be boring, it'd be boring for me as a modeler and a manufacturer. And I think for you as a customer, um, right. I want to change things up and, and it doesn't mean that I change my weathering techniques, you know, every year. I mean, I don't, but they've definitely changed and, you know, altered with materials and availability and techniques that people have brought to me. And that's all part of that, not having the same four before window in every single kit on every single, you know, wall. So yeah, you nailed it on the head, Brett. That's exactly it. Cool. And and um, you know, that's one of our as a as a podcast and our HSCO customs and, and the whole works with our website is we push it uh, you know, there don't get stuck on the same weathering technique because every model is different and every look you want to achieve is different. And, and you're not going to grow as a modeler unless you attempt and try different, you know, techniques and, and yep. uh, find, find your style. Like uh, exactly. I don't know Jason Jensen. I'm not sure if you know, Jason. Yeah, um, I do. I don't know him, but I know whom you speak of. Uh, yes. But uh, we've had Jason on the show a bunch and we've met him. He's a great guy. Um, he's got his style. When I see a model, on online somewhere it's been built i i know that's been built by him without 
even reading it. Right. Okay. Right. If I, you know, it, it, we, we, you know, we can see that in all these different modelers, each of us has our own style and you don't, you know, you can try and emulate it, but you're not going to be able to do that. So you're, you're, you can, you know, you're just techniques and stuff that you use. We may all start with the, you know, A and I India ink wash, right? But we, right. uh, well, eventually we're going to try some chalks and we're going to blend some, you know, alcohol in with the chalks and we're, we're going to try it with other things or dry chalk. You know, I, I call right. dry brushing with, I've done dry brushing with chalk and, um, it's, uh, you know, it's a million different ways, and you can combine them all. Um, I, I think that's a great thing that you just tried to say there uh, and talk, talk to us about was that. But, um, yeah, because yeah, it's, you know, it's our no, Well, and there's no right or wrong technique. I mean, like you said, it, it, it's what works best for you and in, in making your own technique. And, um, you know, I, I, I try to work with my customers in, in – I, basically, what I tell my customers is this, and this is a this is a common conversation I've had. If you've bought one of my kits, you obviously are attracted to what I have on the website, right. which means the techniques I've used have have attracted your attention enough that you're willing to spend money and buy one of my kits. So what right. I recommend you do, use my techniques on the first kit. Try them. Use the materials I recommend. I try really hard. Um, I have a I have a part of my website called uh, Craftsman Kit University. Yes, where, I'm looking um, at it. It's awesome. Well, thank you. And and I try really hard to keep it updated. As as I mean, whoever thought Flocal or Polyscale would go out of business? So I mean, right. just because I recommend you use one brand doesn't mean five years from now they're going to be in business. Mm-hmm. So I try to keep that current. With if you have an older kit of mine and the materials list in the back is out of date because certain companies or products are no longer available. Click on Craftsman Kit University on my website. All the materials are there. There's links to manufacturers and products. But I tell people, try my techniques on the first kit using the materials I suggest. Not because they're the best, but just because obviously something about the photographs and the weathering or the whatever attracted you to what I'm doing. Then that becomes those techniques and materials become a tool in your personal arsenal to find where you want to be in your modeling world. I mean, other people, whether it's another kit manufacturer or whether it's people in the hobby that are sharing their techniques, whether it's in magazines or online, there's so many good modelers out there with so many awesome techniques. Nobody's right, nobody's wrong, nobody's best, and nobody's worse. It's what you're attracted to. So find your own, exactly what you said, Todd. You've got to find your own uh, and, you know, place in, in weathering. And your entire, your entire website is based on teaching. I, I and I'm, you said about the university, which is awesome. You go to the university, folks, and you can hit a hit the material list uh, as a, a separate sub bar, and it says material list, and then it has all the materials you would need to uh, basically pull off his model and do his techniques. Um, and then on top of that, uh, that's that's really awesome. I'd love to see a material list. But then if you go to videos, there is a selection of videos. Um, that that cover a whole wide range of different, and they're very well done. I've watched every single one of them. Um, Damp brushing, weathering scale strip wood, adding details to strip wood, uh, the blackening and polishing the metal castings, uh, and and on and on. And this is uh, weathering the resin castings. They're really great videos. It's a great way to get yourself started, but it's not just on that university, as I said. You're I noticed um, looking at your kits, in particular the one we just talked about, the shipyard at Fossil Landing, 
before you even buy the kit, you're looking at the photos to to entice you into buying it. That's part of any website that's selling. Sure, sure. Your captions explain stuff in the captions on how to build them before the people even decide to buy them. So you're giving them tips right off the bat without them even buying your kit. And um, it's, 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 it's great. It's, it goes into the explanation to help promote and sell the kit. It's, it's very well done. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, and, and not only to sell the kit, but to sell the hobby. I mean, I, I feel right. that those of us that are fortunate enough to have been able to make a living, whether full-time or part-time in this hobby, um, I mean, it, we don't owe it back. I mean, that, that's, that right. seems a little overly, overly done. But I do think that, um, you know, I mean, I have my proprietary things and that I don't talk about. But, I mean, as far as my yeah. weathering and things like that, you don't have to buy my kit. Right. Um, to know the materials I use and the techniques I use, because I put it on my website for anybody to go look at, because I want people to use these techniques. I want them to, to alter them and twist them and make them their own. And I do consider part of being a kit manufacturer is being an effective teacher, because just from a marketing standpoint, I can't make a living selling you one kit. If everybody that ever bought a kit for me bought one, I wouldn't have been in business 25 years. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, just, just from a practical standpoint, I need people to be happy with what they bought, feel that right. it was a good value, and be excited about the next kit and the techniques they've learned and what sure. they just built. Um, so, yeah, I consider myself a, a teacher as well. I mean, I've done, I don't know how many shows I've done in the mm -hmm. 25 years and how many clinics I've given, whether they are hands-on clinics or just, you know, standing up in front of a PowerPoint or whatever. But right. um, I, enjoy, I enjoy sharing the techniques a lot. Um, with the hobby, with, with my fellow hobbyists, because so many of these techniques are from um, friends of mine. I mean, a lot of them that have passed away over the years. I mean, it kind of keeps memories alive with people. I mean, this particular technique came from this person, and this, this part of the technique is there. And it, it's just kind of a neat tribute to people as well. So um, a lot of different, lot of different aspects to not just, here's a kit, here's how much it is, click buy now. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I appreciate you noticing that. A lot of time goes into that. One of the, one of the, things about that with the kits um, and, and the descriptions that you put into it and the fact that you have the university and everything else is a combination of it all. What it does is it tells that person is looking at it. Okay, here is a great kit. With a, here's a gorgeous photos of how you can build a kit. There's a lot of detail in, in your kits. We all know that. There's a lot of castings that come with your kits. And and then the you get somebody who hasn't built one, hasn't built one of, of a you know fine scale you know quality kit like this and they're thinking to themselves oh my gosh look at all that detail how intimidating that must be we've all talked about the intimidation factor with people just getting into it now if you're a beginner sure. you're obviously not going to pick the big giant kit okay but you have some other kits that are smaller that you could start with but your website doesn't chase a person away by scaring them with it, it, it teaches them and by reading the captions and such, that they're going to feel comfortable with saying, you know what, I think I could try this and make this happen if I work and take my time with this. And, Boy, and Paul, I sure hope so. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I really hope so because no matter who you are, you are a beginner right. <laughs> at yes. some point. And, and, there's, and, and the people that, that work with me when I was a beginner, they didn't have an attitude. They didn't think they were better than me because they started modeling before I did. And I just... I, I just, I think if you talk to people that have dealt with me and I want everybody to know who's, if there are people that are listening to this that are beginners, you can't be intimidated or afraid 
Um, you you got to jump in and anybody can, I mean, I'm extremely available. I answer my phone. I answer emails. Um, if anybody is new and they have any questions and whether or not they're going to buy a kid, I don't even care about that. I just want, I just want people to enjoy this hobby. Yes. Um, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no question that our hobby is dying and, and we need to make sure that we're as inclusive as possible. And part of that in, in inclusiveness is making everybody comfortable, whether you've been modeling for 20 years or 20 minutes. And I just, I, I think most of the manufacturers that I've dealt with over the years have the exact same attitude. Um, yeah, you know, they I, just, they just, everybody wants to help and make it, make right, it grow. Right. And, um, yeah, you know, we're doing this, uh, thing in Timonium next week. said uh, craftsman show, uh, craft, what do they call that thing? The right? great scale. The oh, craftsman courtyard. Craftsman courtyard. Yes. We're part of it. We have a table. But everybody there that I know that's going to be there is it's we're, we're going to be doing clinics and you know how it rolls. I mean, how do you know that there's not a guy walking through the hall with his 12 year old little boy or girl? Right. And they're there. They watch you weather something. And 10 years later, they remember that it left an impression on them and they decide right. that they want to be a modeler. So, I mean, you, yeah. just, you don't know where these little seeds get planted. I had a, I had a gentleman call me recently. His son, I think he was 16, was doing a science project in, in California. And they were interested in one of my kits that relate to boilers and things like that. And, um, you know, I was so excited to work with this young man because he's, you know, he's 16 years old. Don't get many teenagers that are interested <laughs> no. in our hobby. So they're out there. And when you find them, you really got to make sure that you, uh, yes. you, you nurture that relationship because, um, the, the, there aren't a lot of them anymore. Unfortunately, it's not, it's not our generation. Todd, nope. so, you know, and and, and the manufacturers all know each other. They all work together. They're yep. all friends. And, and yep. they, you know, I don't see animosity. I've done a bunch of these things now. And I don't. And we're we're always there hanging out with these no, guys, and, no, and everybody's there to work with each other and help each other out. In fact, some of the people even cut laser cut for other guys. You know, the, their laser cut goes down, and then they're they all sharing. They all share tasks yeah. together. Yeah, <laughs> you have to. I mean, yeah. we're such a small group of people. Um, right. You know, and that you know, we're talking about me not being part of the Northeast. That that is the disadvantage. I mean, I'd love right. to go to Timonium. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be. I'd love to be a part of that, but I, I can't feasibly take the right. time i can't i can't fly to shows because i right. can't bring my pilot models mm-hmm. on the airplane sure. so i have to drive so for me i i finally about that's a hall the I don't know, about three years ago <laughs> i finally said 12 hours drawing a yeah. circle around dallas if it's more than 12 hours outside of the circle i right. just can't feasibly take the time and do it so and, and, um, you know, that which, makes sense yeah which is a bummer i'd like to go do the show i'd really <laughs> love to do the 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 big show but mm-hmm. um, you're not. I mean, I'm a Southern California boy. You're not getting me anywhere near Boston. <laughs> That's going to happen, especially yeah. especially hey, now. Because Pennsylvania, we're 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 from Pennsylvania. We shake when we think about going to Boston. Listen, I oh, I sure. I hate I'm the sure. snow. Uh, I hate the snow. A, a funny, funny. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Bro. I was just going to say I hate the snow. So just the fact of. You know, daylight savings time is coming up here, and that just means oh, yeah. that means anywhere north of us is already colder than it is here. And I don't want to go any farther north until spring. So yeah, no, I know it's hard. I'm ready to really hi- I'm ready to hibernate. No, go ahead. Yeah, um, at the um, Pittsfield, Massachusetts Craftsman Structure Show, however many years ago that was, um, Doug had jokingly guaranteed me because I said I'm not going all the way up there, and he's like, "Oh, just just shut up and get in your car and come up here." <laughs> 
And I promise you there won't be any snow. It's too early in the year. We never get snow up here before Thanksgiving. Those were his exact words. And obviously I knew he was joking. So I'll never forget that first morning, come down the elevator, the elevator doors open up, and there is an absolute blizzard. And I don't mean Southern California boy blizzard. I mean a blizzard blizzard. And it was, I don't know, you know, lake effect, whatever the hell that stuff is. I don't know about that. So everybody was telling me, chill out. It'll melt in a few hours, and I'm like, oh, but it's a blizzard. It just it's so funny. So I, just, I just was glaring at Doug for the next two days. <laughs> I love it. Speaking of snow, yeah. So yeah. I'd love to be able to, do, you know, participate in these shows on a regular basis. I love doing sure. shows, but it just, you know, unfortunately, um, it's a two-day drive from Dallas. Logistically, to it's, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So, you know, hey, well, when you're 45, drives like that are cool. When you're 55, drives like that suck. <laughs> yep, that's where I'm at, too. So um, now I got a question since you have, we talked about it, you mentioned it, uh, your new kit coming out um, is Riverfront, and there's not a lot of information on it. You want to share any? No, I mean, honestly, it's not that I'm being secretive and, you know, I don't want to share any until... You know, I've learned my lesson. I've I have a big mouth, and and I I like to talk, and so I've learned my lesson over the years. I like it until the thing is ready and photographed and is yep. ready to go on the internet. I don't say much because I don't want anybody yeah. to plan something or to feel let down because I said this was going to be right. that, and then it turned into this. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's in the that. final design sure. phases, and I like it. Um, I always start with a logo. I'm a graphic guy. I can't draw, so I always start with a logo um, on the computer. And right. I know that's kind of a weird place to start for a kit. It's probably, I mean, I don't know. I see. I bet yeah, you're great. Stuff Your logos are things. great. Thanks. I love doing them. I love, my, literally, my favorite part of kit design is the stupid logo. <laughs> All right. I just want to make some logos. I, I, I do graphic design, too, for a living, too, outside oh, of do this. Oh, really? Oh, how fun. And yeah. uh, I do that, and I build websites. Um so I got a little bit and video work. So I got my hands in everything, but I'm with you on that. Like I, I love just sitting down and like creating a logo for something or creating, uh, I do shirt designs for some people or I'll do banners. Yeah, and I'm like, I yeah, love, I love doing exactly. this. Well, and it, and it, it's the, it really is the create for me and you, I will agree with me, Brett. It is the creative spark behind a project is, is the font you choose and how you lay it out. I mean, what, whatever, whatever it is you're working with. Right. I, mean, I, I love doing T-shirt design. That's my background. I, was in, I, I, sold, I sold a lot of T-shirts in the surfwear industry in, in the nice. 80s. That, that's where I got my start in business. And um, I've designed a lot of T-shirts. I design T-shirts now for some non-profits I work with. And it, it's my favorite part of my year well, and, is when I get to sit down and design T-shirts. So, so I've, yeah, I've fun, talked about fun, this fun, with fun. Doug. And um, you kind of just brought it up. So when you're like, when you just you're picking fonts and you're doing everything like that, the like uh, the typeface or the font that you choose for signs or for a logo, that can really change the whole attitude and whole message of a building or a structure that you're doing. So if if you're making custom signs or you're making a custom logo, like you just said, you can really express everything that that building is about by picking the right font or picking the right icon to go with that sign or something. And yeah. that's where it gets fun because you're creating an attitude by just putting text up on a building. Yep, absolutely. I mean, that's, exa- that's exactly how I view the logos. And those logos, they, they really outlast in some, in some respects. They outlast the kit, yeah. the, the visual in somebody's mind. Because, for example, the riverfront. I mean, it's, it's not 
exotic, but I've never used a skull and crossbones in anything. I don't have any skull and crossbone jewelry, and I don't have any skull and crossbone tattoos. Like everybody else my age seems to have. No offense. If that's what you're into, brother, you you skull and crossbone yourself up from your toes to your neck. But that skull and crossbow, it's just it it it's a visual that'll stick with you, even if you don't remember what the kit looks like ten years ago. You remember that stupid skull and crossbow. So yeah, I'm I'm right there with you on that. It, it's so much fun to create those visuals. And hey, some of my logos have stunk. I've, I've looked back on them years later and thought, what were you thinking? That's with everyone's um, projects. So you always look, exactly it, when you do it in the beginning, you're like, this is awesome. And then when you look back yeah. five years later or a so, couple years later, you're like. Ugh, I don't want to look at that anymore. Yeah. I want to redo exactly, that. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But but there are some logos that I've done over the years that I look at today, and I still think, wow, that that's cool. That really captured right. that kit. And that goes with you know? a lot of the work that we do too, not just with logos, but anytime you're building something, uh, it's always fun to look back at your projects and go, ooh, man, I could I could do that different. And you might you maybe you take a piece off and you redo a section of something, um, just because you know you're you're always advancing and you're always learning and we've talked about this right. on the show a hundred times probably too but just the same thing you go back because your skills are changing and even if you've been modeling for 40 or 50 years um you're gonna look back and think ah i wish i did that section different and george Selius, we were up at his layout this this summer and he even does the same thing he's still taking stuff off and he's doing yep. a whole new section now so this is a guy who yep. everyone holds in high regard as man he is the artist but even he looks at stuff going, uh, eh, I guess I could do that a little different now. And it's just, it's cool to, to hear other modelers say the same thing. Well, and, and that's why George is who he is, is because instead of sitting there on his high horse, like he has some ego and this is perfect and I'm never going to touch it. He's always looking for ways to improve what he's done. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, that, that's just a classic example of somebody that wants to share in the hobby and improve what he's always done. And, <laughs> He's always there to tell you how he did it and why he did it and when he did it. So, right. um, very quietly, he does. He doesn't have that loud projecting voice. No, but no. Uh, no. no I mean, it, it, it's exactly right. I mean, like I said earlier, how boring to do the same thing over and over and over again for twenty five, thirty, even what in George's case, forty five years. I mean, it's right. boring. So you got to evolve. Everything, sure. everything has to evolve. So, um, yeah, that's all part of it for sure. Whether now, it's the logo on the box or the te- techniques inside. Yeah. One of the cool things about your kids. If you rifle through them and see the photos and such, you don't have an overwhelming amount of signage on them. Like some of the kids have like tons of signs, and they're you know, and and, and they look good for what they're what they're about um, on these uh, on other manufacturers. But yours, your kits and the way they're designed, they have signage, but it's it's and and it's 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 perfectly you know designed for what the building is supposed to be and what it's supposed to be about, uh, but it's not overdone. It's not overkill. And it's, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I, I, I try signs are, uh, signs are kind of tough because, um, in, in our hobby in the craftsman kit market, um, I, I would never say that I think people have overdone signs, but I think customers expect a lot of signs. It's, it's mm-hmm. part of the story. Um, it adds a lot of color and interest to a structure but I try to balance that with what is prototypical. In no way, shape, or form am I saying that I only do things that are pro- prototypical because I'm going right. to say that's just boring. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I've never been attracted to um, uh, modelers that are modeling. I'm not going to mention a railroad because I don't want to offend Yeah, them, yeah, no, I get I've it. never been 
Yeah, I've never been attracted to the modeling if you're doing such and such a railroad on January 3rd, you know, 1926 at 1.05 p.m. And I, and I know several friends that that's how they model. They literally sure. model a day at a time. And, and like I said, whatever turns you on, that's man, their if world. that's what gets you – right. If that's what gets you to the modeling bench every day, then, then uh, hats off to you. But it's not what would get me to the bench. And so I try to balance prototype with the flight of fancy. Um, right. And so, yeah, I work really hard with signs. I give, and most of my kits have a lot of signs in them because I know right. people like them. Mm-hmm. And it is an easy way to add some color, and it's certainly a great way to date um, <laughs> a structure. I mean, you know, when you have somebody looking at your your layout, your dioramas, whatever, and and they're not a modeler, they would have absolutely no idea what era you're modeling right. without signs and vehicles. Right. Um, so that is important, but but I mean that's been one of my um, one of my philosophies, I guess, literally since day one, is right. that just because something was was real in the world, doesn't mean that it looks good in a model. And the example I always give is if you're modeling 1920s backwoods logging, which is my personal love, yeah, there, it would have been totally appropriate to have a cherry red Ford pickup truck sitting there that they literally just took delivery from. Yeah, um, but but it would look horrible because an unweathered cherry red pickup truck sitting in front of an old decrepit boiler at a sawmill, (laughs) they don't go together, but it's prototypically accurate. So I always, I always say for me personally, I like to try to balance the two. So Mm -hmm. if you want a pickup truck in there, yeah, but just make sure that it matches the overall scene. It's not, it's not, it doesn't stick out. So like, like on the loco and service shop, I'm looking at right now. It, there's no signage that I see, and and, and no. it wouldn't it wouldn't have signage. It's a logo and no, service shop. What would you possibly? Right. What the hell would you need a sign for? Yeah, there's but, a few safety signs inside yeah. you know, that are that are accurate. They, I found a website years and years ago that they were selling um, mm-hmm. the, the most amazing, authentic 1920s, you know, uh, machinery safety eye goggle that type of stuff. Right. So a lot of my signs came from that. I'd never seen those signs before. Yeah, but, that's cool. um yeah, I mean, what right? What sign are you going to put on the outside of a right, shop? I mean, right. You know, and it does. Uh, so so right. what I'm saying, it, it doesn't need a sign to sell it. That thing looks bad. Uh, well, I thank say you. Badass, yeah. the yeah. way it is. You know, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's great. And now, um, and a lot of times, you know, the signs are great. Now, I've used signs from kits and everything else, and Brett has too. But a lot of times, we, him and I as modelers. We like to make our own signs and stick yeah, them on there. That's, that goes back and, to what uh, Brett was talking about yeah. earlier, where that that kicks in my graphic design brain. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah. well, all yeah. this, it doesn't look like everybody else. Well, and what's really way. cool is what you can do is measure the signs that come in the kit that are f- supposed to fit that specific spot in the wall. Yeah. Uh, and then just make your own. Go into Photoshop or go into GIMP or whatever your f- there's free programs well, yeah, out there. Right, right. You don't need specialized software. I mean, yeah. you, Word. I mean, you can use any software well, you, that you have on your computer. Yeah. yeah. You can even go into, you know, your if you have a scanner, you can scan them in and then you got the exact shape and size of the existing right. sign and just, like you said, right. go into Word, create a shape over top of it, delete the bottom layer and then make your own signs. It's All right. And if you don't have a good printer, put it on a $5 thumb drive and take yeah. it up to Office Depot. So, yeah, they'll yeah. do it for so, you. I, I think... I think signs are super, super important, but I don't ever want to use signs as a design. Right, right, right. Um, I want to use them as part of the design. They're cool to be a focal point on a design, but not necessarily the main thing. 
Well, there are some kits that have been produced that the signs were intended from the beginning as an integral part. Well, um, so that's a different the, thing. I mean, those the, are, the one I, that my dad just did, and um, I know you're not on Facebook uh, to see it, but we have it on our site as well, is the new FS scale models. It was like the – Doug does those limited um, – you right. buy you buy so much you get one. That whole building, yeah. the whole building was signs, and like you said, right. that fits for that. But that's a really rare right. occasion. That's really rare. Yeah, that's why. That's precisely why so, I bought it and built it like that. So it was cigar shop and well, it was cigar shop and uh, tattoo parlor. Yeah. Now, Brett, right. I wanted to ask right. you a question. You hit on this earlier. We're really jumping around tonight, and it's fun. I'm having more <laughs> fun with this. But uh, so you do 1920s logging. It's like it's like your dream. Um, yeah, that's my personal. Yeah, that's not the, that's not Sierra West. No, no, uh, uh, focus. But that's my personal modeling. No, but I, I just picked up on that little morsel, and I wanted to touch on that real quick. Um, so, for what you do, is it mostly kind of you're you're able to you're winging it kind of, and you're just you're picking that era, and you know what that era entails, and you know the style of things that were around then, and then you completely freestyle it, or are you trying to pick some prototype stuff that goes with that? A mix. Okay. Um, you know, in today's world, obviously, with, with the access we have on the Internet. Oh, um, yeah, it's huge. I mean, you, I mean, you Google anything you want modeling-wise. I mean, it's In just, seconds, I mean, I you know a, everything you need. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I have an, an old iPad that I keep sitting next to my workbench that I don't care if I get paint or glue on it. And, um, I mean, if I want to look at, you know, I know what a rusty old drum looks like. I mean, I've looked at them a thousand times in real life <laughs> and in pictures. And I don't even know how many rusty oil drums I've modeled. I wouldn't even want to start counting them. But... <laughs> You know, last week to this week, there's going to be new pictures of rusty oil drums. So, um, you know, whether it's something as, as simple as an oil drum or whether it's something as detailed as, as a sawmill from 1930 you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. there's so much information on the Internet. Um, I try to combine the, 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 the commonality, the, the most common, the way they did it. Because another thing that I've always said is I don't – if I'm going to build as a customer – if I'm going to build one sawmill for my layout, um, why do I want to build the unusual? Because then it then people are just going to be like, huh, what, what's that? I want to build the typical sawmill. So that's kind of what I try to do with my kits is I try to make it, quote, and I hate to use the word typical because that, that seems, that kind of demeans what the sawmill was. But um, I don't want the, the, the unusual or the weird, you know, the right. sideshow thing. I, I, want, I want the, your, good old day in day out sawmill that cut lumber for you know 50 years and you know built built the entire west coast of the u.s i mean that's kind of the, the thing i want to model and that's what i'm attracted to personally yeah so when, when i someday have a layout it'll be set in the early 20s in northern california i love it the, the, so yeah, that, that whole you know i was gonna say so personal um i so first of all I love that idea, and I was up recently in, uh, it's not technically Northern California, I don't know if you'd call it Northern California, it was in Tahoe, Lake Tahoe area. Yeah, and, Southern uh, California. That whole area is like, those, the trees are amazing, and I, yeah. took, I actually, I didn't send them to my dad, but I took, so this is funny, and this is a complete side note before I got into what I actually wanted to get into. You do these rabbit holes like yeah, this. Yeah, but this is perfect, right? this is perfect. <laughs> so... This has nothing to do with Sierra West or Brett Gallant, and I'm, I apologize. This doesn't think I noticed. Have you ever bought the bag of plastic tree trunks? Um, every modeler has probably used them or seen them. Oh yeah, and oh yeah, they're the pine trees. The whole area of Lake Tahoe is is predominantly pine. Yep. 
and the pine trees. I took pictures of them because they looked exactly like the Woodland Scenic's bag of tree trunks. <laughs> well, <I> mean, <laughs> they they were know, just when, missing when the, the clumps. Guy, well, when the guy made the mold, you know, made the masters for those tree trunks, I mean, he didn't just pull it out of the air. Right. And, right. and I mean, he went and whether he went and took photographs or whatever, he went and sat down and looked at trees yeah. and said, oh, okay. That's what a ponderosa pine looks like. That's yeah. what a spruce looks like, whatever. And yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, it was that's just, exactly what he did. It was just yeah. funny. I was out there on the trail in around Lake Tahoe and I was like, this is a, that's a woodland scenics tree. Like that's a, this tree, like that looks like that wow, bag of tree trunks yeah. I got. Yeah. So I was taking pictures. <laughs> yeah, I meant exactly. to send them to my dad saying, yeah. these look like those yeah. trees we bought. But anyways. Did you see the remnants of the flumes? Yes. The They're all over Tahoe. We, Aren't we those saw, the coolest things in that? I saw unimaginable two yeah. different areas that had the old logging flumes, and it was incredible. Um, yeah, there was, I've always wanted to model a flume coming into a log pond. The one area we I, saw I, was coming into, um, I think it was called Tunnel Creek area okay. of Lake okay. Tahoe. But there, I, I believe that was it. Don't quote me on it. But we were coming down um, a long kind of old railroad grade kind of or an old road bed uh, off the mountain. And off the side were remnants of the old shoots that were left over from the the log flume, and it was it was crazy. It was so cool, and it was kind of preserved because it, it was historical. Yeah. They had signs up explaining what you were seeing, but uh, they preserved it, so it was neat to see a lot of that there. Uh, just amazing to think about that that industry thriving on on the sides of these huge huge mountains. It was crazy. I mean, they'd throw those logs in those flumes, and I mean, they they travel twenty miles. Cause, yeah, you know, the sawmills had to be below the freeze line, right? Because while they couldn't cut the trees down in the middle of January when everything was snowed in, they could during the summer months pack the log pond um, as long as it didn't freeze. They could pack it, and that way the mill could work twelve months out of the year. So yeah, those flumes they. Uh, they transported a lot of logs. Probably, I don't know, somebody who's an expert would probably tell me I'm wrong. But a lot. I wonder if they transported <laughs> more logs than the railroads did. Maybe. Uh, you know, especially in some of those rough, rough areas where they couldn't get a grade in. Well, and a lot of those areas in, in the Midwest and Northern California area are very treacherous as far as uh, yeah, the terrain. Sure. No, so, so this gets into my other point real quick. Uh, you talked about the – and this goes back into what you're talking about about logging. Um you, I talked to my dad about this actually over the weekend and about a month ago too. Uh, you had said the prevalence of logging in that area was huge and it was a huge industry at the time. Also at the same time in the Northeast or in, in our area in central Pennsylvania, I live along um, a state forest here called Michaud State Forest and the entire area of my hometown where I live was all funded on or basically ran on the logging industry it's huge yep. and yep. my road actually after i dug into it my road that i live on was named after a famous or not a famous but a large logger in the area and i did all this research and then like literally a half a mile up the road from me are remnants of an old uh sawmill and an old logging camp and all this logging stuff right up the hill from me so when you started to say that i was like oh man that that is literally my backyard and um, when I dug more into the local historical society photos, I found some photos of some old buildings that existed from it that have the name of my road, like plastered on the side of it. So that got me interested. That's cool. Isn't that crazy? It's, yeah, it's amazing. Crazy it and it's really all, yeah. and it's all right there. One second Google search. I had all this information, um, 
at my fingertips. So now I kind of want to incorporate that just because it's the name of the road I live on. Uh, oh, yeah. I want to incorporate Amazing. that somehow yeah. into our layout, whether it's the smoke. I knew that was coming. I know, but but whether <laughs> – but so what's really neat about it is a local town near me um, yeah, called yeah. Carlisle was like the hub of – it was actually a railroad hub at the time, a lot of industry. So the logging company would truck their logs into Carlisle, and then in Carlisle they have a sawmill – or not a sawmill, but a, a, a company um, warehouse there where they would load the – they would truck the logs to the town and then load them onto the train right. and then take them out. But there's these giant, huge smokestacks off the back of this warehouse building that have the name of my street on them. And I never put two and two together until I started oh, to research yeah, that's it. Really so neat. That's I want to really yeah. take the town, not necessarily the mill, but the town part and incorporate that somehow into our layout. Well, I think that'd be I'm amazing. I'm looking at one of Brett's models. It's awesome looking. And I've never seen it by anybody else's kits in any way, shape, or form. Is it? The logging camp essentials. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's limited edition and it's no longer it's sold out. But um, it is really cool because it has that whole, you know, the whole old style logging yeah, camp yeah. you would see. It is it is awesome. I love how. Well, yeah that that uh, that actually uh, I had a uh, have a I don't know the last time I picked up an actual book, but I have a Kinsey coffee table photograph book. Um, and they're just some of the most amazing logging photographs ever. And one of the pictures in there are these this row of of uh, bunkhouses um, up on a hill with. I mean, they just you know they just cut the trees down and left all the the slash and everything behind. Uh-huh. And they built this spindly little walkway between all the bunkhouses. And <laughs> that's so and, shower. and so and that's where that that kit that Genesis came from. So I mean, you're talking about do the ideas come from you know proto- prototypes or are right. just made up? So that's one where that kit started from a, a photograph in a book. I right. literally copied the the layout of the windows, the size. I mean, everything copied, and then the other structures that form the kit mm-hmm. were just you know based on prototype or just made up. I mean the the depot in that kit, the little passenger freight depot, is based upon the Nevada County Narrow Gauge Grass Valley Depot. Um, which I have, I have a, I have a long history through family, um, through 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 marriage family with uh, the Nevada Cannon Air Gauge and, and that part of. Uh, so that's why you're talking about Lake Tahoe, Nevada right. City is, is is just down the highway from um, Lake Tahoe, if you will. But uh, yeah, I, I, logging has always has always been where my love is, and I've actually in the last, I don't know, ten years, kind of gotten away from logging and done more of the the light industrial stuff like right. the uh, brass and iron foundry and my O'Neill's fabrication. But uh, I've got some logging stuff planned. I'm going to get back to logging next year and do some logging stuff because I'm, I'm kind of feeling nostalgic about it. <laughs> you know, That's good. That's great. I mean, that's, that's where, you know, we get all these varieties of design uh, based on things that you're, that you or other manufacturers are, are fascinated with and like we talked to Jeff Grove last week and Jeff was talking about how all his kits seem to end up being hardware stores and um <laughs> and what, and what else a uh, country uh, you know country general right. stores and um and he, and he makes he makes no qualms about that that's his thing you know if you want that that's where you go for that you go to right. for, for that and and everybody's got their own little niche which is cool because it, it it gives us the builder or the customer um, a, a really cool variety to right. be able to to do the things that we want to do. So for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's that's the 
I mean, if you're going to own your own small business, I mean, there's a lot of horrible, horrible things that are part of owning a small business. But the best part of owning a small business is I can do what I want. Right, right. So, <laughs> if I feel like doing a logging this year, I'm going to do a logging That's right. So, you know, that's, that's the trade-off to having to do everything else by yourself. So, right, right. Uh, is I, I get to take what I love in modeling and hopefully make money doing it. So, yeah, that, that's exactly oh, that's right. That's great. So, so – um, Brett, do you have some questions from the listeners? Yes, we have a couple patron questions. Uh, I think there's four of them. But as always, if you guys want to become patrons and be able to ask uh, our guests like Brett Gallant or any of our future guests uh, questions on each episode, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash HO scale customs. So let's dig into. And it's Brett Gallant. By the way, Gallant. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was doing no, it all. No need to apologize. Really, it's it's it's. it's I just want to do embarrassing, Brad. I just want to do embarrassing. He's go. really good at that. <laughs> my, for, for 30 years of my life, he's been doing that. Anyways, yeah, dads are allowed to do that. Boys, so that's cool. Uh, well, I have two daughters, so I can't wait to turn the tables and do it on them in about. 18 years. Uh, you're not, I have three daughters. They're all grown. You're not going to be able to. Oh, they're going to outnumber me. I'm already out. So you have three daughters. I might be contacting you here for some, some uh, anytime. advice when they gang up on me. But uh, Anytime. Oh, and they will. Anytime. It's just me and, it's me and the dog in the house. It's, we got a, uh, a boy dog, and it's him and I. We, we just corner up in the one corner, to, and we protect each other. We got each other's back. But... Uh, they're fun right now. They're five and I, I completely understand. Yeah. They're, they're right now. They're at the fun age though, because they're five and two. So I have a lot of fun with them. They're always probably gonna uh, be fun. But mine are in their twenties. They're they're awesome. You know what? It's not. There's no. The only not fun age is when they're infants. <laughs> yeah. Once they get past that stage, I mean, toddlers are incredible because they're they're they turn into human beings. Yeah. But my girls are in their twenties, and I mean, I, I have relationships with them that I never even dreamed I, when they were that age. I can't wait that I would have with them. So but yeah, they're fun it, at all. Ages. It's fun, and not to yeah. get away from our patron questions, but it's fun right now too because, and my dad can attest to this, they couldn't be different. They couldn't be any more different. So oh, they're different. We have the five year old who's the oldest, who is like really, you can tell she she is very methodical. She thinks about everything, and then you have the two year old, who is like. There's no other way to say it except the Tasmanian devil. She is like. Oh, she, I, I was getting ready to say she's a bulldozer. Yep, oh, yeah. Exactly absolutely. Yep, She'll climb up climb up on the back of the couch yep. and fall off and then just get back up and keep running and just craziest <laughs> stuff. So it's a lot of fun. We have a, their bones are really soft at that age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just crazy stuff. <laughs> you, look at it. Stuff you think would hurt them and would hurt me. They just get up and keep running. No. I'm like, oh, man. That, no. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so well, they don't know it's supposed to hurt. See, that's right. See, that's your job as dad. Well, to and make sure that they don't think that that hurts, and so it'll can, stop them from con- it'll stop them from continuing to play, so they don't want to stop. And, and, when, yeah. and when you're exactly. a grandpa and you watch her do it, and then you end up holding that particular part of your body, going, "Oh my god, that hurt me!" <laughs> I'd that have to take me. off work so for a week. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, awesome. it's awesome. a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoy it. But let's get into our patron questions. So, sure. um, we're going to start with uh, Jake Johnson. Are you familiar with Jake Johnson? He is. Um, he he just did the uh, the Carrollwood Farm. He was a modeler for Disney. Yeah, he was on our podcast yeah. a couple times. He just yeah. released a kit of the Carrollwood Farm from Disney. Uh, a really really cool. Uh, Walt Disney's oh, okay. barn. Yeah, Walt Disney's yeah. barn. They did a, I think it's a, was it, was it O-Scale? 
They just did an O scale kit of it. I think it just released. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. But um. Yeah. Anyways, Jake is asking uh, to tell us about making the original patterns for your tiny workbenches and other original patterns for your amazing detail parts. You kind of went into your detail parts earlier, um, and he was saying about how he understands you make them all on your own. Um, right. So we did touch on that earlier, but what are these tiny workbenches that you were that he was talking about here? I don't know if I've seen those. Yeah, they're they're real. The, the workbenches that I think he's referring to, they're they're probably just the traditional flat top workbenches with all the details cast in okay. place. Whether it's you know a hammer or a cup of coffee or oh yeah know, whatever. A I've seen them in your gallery. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I've, I, and I've actually kind of gotten away from casting everything in place in both HO and O scale, more so in O, but also partly in HO scale. I like, um, you know, when you're painting a part like that, obviously the, 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 t- the part that the, the methodology in keeping the paint off of the workbench as opposed to the details is the hard part of the technique. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, know, you always got to keep things around the white. You know, if you're painting a bottle red that's cast in place on top of a wooden workbench, there are very few people that I've ever met that are meticulous and perfect enough to get, especially in HO scale, to get the red paint only on the bottle. Right, right. You always end up getting just a teeny bit on the workbench. So what I started doing is giving you a bottle, and um, you paint the bottle red and then glue it onto the workbench. And um, at first it sounds kind of like, wow, that seems like that's harder or it takes more time, and it's actually easier because you don't have to spend all that time fussing with removing the paint you didn't intend to get on the workbench. Right. Um, and, and then it also, you had mentioned earlier when we were talking about the windows and stuff, making it your own, the signs, um, this allows you to make it your own because you don't have to glue the bottle, the same part of the workbench that I glued my bottle on the pilot model. So as far as making the masters go, you know, there's no way to describe the process because it's not one thing. Right. Um, I don't carve. Um, I don't use stereolithography. I mean, 3D printing is awesome, and I've played with it a lot, but um, it's just not there yet. I mean, unless you move to really, really high-end stuff. And I do know a couple of people in the hobby that are using uh, 3D printing successfully to make masters, um, but they're spending an exorbitant amount of time going from the raw part that comes out of the printer Right. The part that they can create a mold with in order to make it not look like it was 3D printed. So I just rather make it. So I mean, I make mine from metal, wood, styrene. Sure. Um, I mean, pretty much any material you can. And you just, I mean, if you want to, if you want to make a bottle, you put a piece of brass uh, rod in a in a lathe and you you make a bottle. a bottle. I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's just it really is. It's the it's the the mother of invention, whatever that saying is. You know, whatever you need to do, you do. But uh, yeah, there's really no way to describe it because it's just it's it's everything. It's everything. I try to utilize anything I can to make the master. Right. And if you make if you paint a bunch of individual parts like that and put them all together, I think you may create a better depth in oh, your visual look, man. Yeah. Hunter, if you look, we were talking about the shipyard earlier. If you look at the pictures of the uh, stacks of crates sitting on the deck in front of the main building of the shipyard, that's right. not a single-piece resin casting. Those are 12 crates. Oh. Individual. In, right, and and it's one of the things I show in my videos and as well as in my manuals. I've, I've developed some exceptionally simple techniques for you to paint a whole bunch of little castings really, really fast. Yeah. And then you can do whatever you want with them. And I hear from my customers, I mean, all the time, mm-hmm. that, you know, when they were finished with the kit, there were 15 castings left over. They don't know where the heck they went. So they put them somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I love I love the individual thing. I've, I've gotten more and more away from 
a workbench with everything cast in place because it's just it's harder it's harder to work right. with so that's brilliant awesome so. one more question from jake uh he says are you still recommending reaper miniatures acrylic paint share with us some of your favorite products um for paints and i know that could probably get a little lengthy so here let's just talk about the reaper miniatures acrylic paint well, I'll keep it real short and simple. Um, they make a fantastic quality product. We had a wonderful relationship, and unfortunately, uh, they discontinued their uh, HD high-density line of water-based oh, paint, man. which is what my entire line was based on. <laughs> so um, after Floquel pulled the rug out from underneath all of us and discontinued their paint, right. which, by the way, nobody should be sad about because it was very good quality paint in a bottle that was horrible and was designed to fail um, <laughs> i mean honestly i, mean, I think you just hit terrible. you've hit everyone's main complaint yeah exactly exactly um so nobody should be upset that floke was gone um reaper i was so happy to be working with them they were so accommodating and helping uh, develop the paint colors and they were all the floquel colors roof brown grimy black i mean all the colors that we all know and love um, I have gone back and I will never change. I'm saying the word never, and I rarely use that word. I will never go back to anything other than craft store, 99 cent bottle squeeze. You just, because, ah, you just we love it. Well, sang I, the song of our I, hearts. I know it, 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 it's consistent. Now it's not great, but it's, right. the quality is consistent. Right. And I know 10 years from now, I know 15 years from now when somebody picks up one of my kits, and in the back of the manual, it lists 15 craft store squeeze bottle colors to go buy. Right. They're going to be able to go to Hobby Lobby or wherever the heck they're Get going. Get those colors. Buy the same. Right. Um, and, and that's actually the university link on my website was actually created in response to the wild number of panicked phone calls I got um, from customers many years ago. Folkwell's gone. <laughs> what do I do now? What do I do now? So, yeah. So, so then I um, noticed on, your, on the university, you actually just list things that are able to be picked up pretty much at any box store. Yep. And, yep. and, and it's Floquel that taught me the lesson. If you, if you would be hard-pressed other than I do not spray paint my metal castings. I chemically blacken them and then weather them. Oh, okay. Because that helps reduce the chance of bare metal showing when you rub the paint off. Right. Um, other than the chemical blackening agent, which there's several, there's two listed on the website. One of them is, is very simple to purchase from. Um, other than that, everything else that I use in my kits, you can buy at Amazon or a big box store. I mean, nice. and I do that purposely because um, it just that's one of the biggest complaints I have had from people over the years about the, the, the hobby as a whole is how hard it is to find materials. Now, that complaint, a lot of that has gone away with, with the rise of the Internet and right. Amazon. Right. Um, because, right. I mean, there, I mean, Amazon, if you look at some of the, the, the really specialized tools or materials that some people use in the hobby, I mean, Amazon's got it. I mean, it may not oh, yeah. be sold by them. It may be a third party, but it's there. It's a, but, um, yeah, so short and sweet, I'm back to squeeze bottle craft I'd paint. I'd love to I'm hear that. Even because it we works. love it, too. It works. Well, yeah, and what's it nice, works, you're, it's cheap, and that's that. And, they're and so, you can do a million things with it. Yeah, they're so flexible. Yep. You can make washes with them. You can right. put yep. them on exactly. thinner. You can mix them. So it, and, I like that. Exactly. And, and it's funny you yeah, said I mean, you that. You can paint metal. Yeah, I mean, you can paint metal, you can paint resin, you can paint wood, yeah. I mean, you can uh, anything, anything. Well, we went out to, uh, we talked about this, but we went out to um, to see George and uh, the White and the Franklin South Manchester. Um, he took us into, it was a rare glimpse into his private little back room there where he does his, a lot of his modeling and his little shop back behind the door. And he took us all in there. And um, 
and one of the boxes of paint he pulled out that he he uses, which was really cool, was all crap paints. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it was it yeah. was all crap paints, and as he said, that's what he uses now. You know, yeah. So, I mean, it works. I mean, why yeah. get fancy? I mean, I, the only reason that I did the Reaper is because I decided that. Um, I wanted to try because there's there's uh, uh, the the classic brand is the Yeho, um, the yes. the V A double L brand, it, right. it, and they're Spanish. They make a magnificent quality paint, but it's not for my techniques because when you paint something with the Vallejo paint and then burnish or rub or weather on top, it gets shiny because they have right. a, a a large vinyl based pigment. So I decided, you know what? I keep on hearing about Reaper. I live in Dallas. They're in Fort Worth. It'll take an hour to get there. I'm just going to go visit with them and see what they got. Found out that the Fort Worth address was an old address, and they actually were literally five minutes from my front door. Oh, nice. So, oh, um, yeah, I c- couldn't, couldn't not do it. And the owner yeah. is just the nicest guy and accommodating. And then, you know, I mean, they made a business decision, unfortunately. But, nice. Um, it right. is what it is. So. Now, I've noticed know, when you're here. I, I do want to add... I do want to say one thing about Reaper, sure. um, and I don't sell Reaper paints anymore, so this is just a comment about their paint. They do still make, in my opinion, the best metallics. Oh, um, you know, silvers, bronzes, brasses. Not to look them up, um, and they do sell it on their website. It's not the high; they've never sold that as high density. Right. Um, right. I mean, I sold, I sold hundreds and hundreds of the Sierra West Reaper paint sets, and they all have the metallics in them. And um, I still—that's the only non-craft paint I use, unless I use a spray can, a rattle can. Right. Um, you know, for certain things, but um, yeah, their their metallics are wonderful. So I nice. do love our we love the craft paint, but we're big on the AK special effects stuff. I love the AK stuff, right? But yeah. see, I'm never going to recommend anything other than craft paint because you don't know how long it'll be around. Can, yes, nobody yes. can guarantee me that five years from now AK won't be bought by somebody yep. and then torpedoed like local. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yes. yes, we understand that. I like it. We're I like yeah. I like the stance you take on that because then then yep. you're you're not you're not putting something out there that your customers or you know someone gets a kit from you that is a third party kit. They've re, they've bought a resale kit. They're still not right. going to get something that you recommended. Like the yellow box kits recommend things now. We all love the yellow box kits, but it's hard to find some of the stuff that's in there because you know it's. Stuff that yeah. they don't make anymore. So I love that. Right. I love so that approach. Quill, love and, the approach. And, and I love to be able to take a list. And we talked about this. Maybe I'll do it. We Maybe I'll f- be that guy. I want to make a list of all the flow quill colors and then match them with craft paint colors. Oh, so right. See, but the problem with that is, which is why I don't do that, is oh. because the craft paint brands and color names are regional. So ah. a guy in Boston goes and buys your paint color, but a guy in Los Angeles wouldn't be able to even find. Now, there is something like Apple Barrel. Yeah. Right. Every, every Michael's on the planet, E.L. Moore, Hobby Lobby, whatever. Right. They got the same I mean, Apple They've barrel. all got Apple Barrel paint. But right. there's a lot of regional brands that um, makes it difficult to match color. So that's why if you look at huh. my list, I'll say get three shades of brown. And you know what? If you can't find one that's exactly the same match as Local Earth, yeah. take a deep breath. Don't worry about it. When you paint your wooden barrel with your <laughs> shade of brown and then put some chalk weather on it's it, it's going to look exactly the same. Wonderful. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I try, I tell customers that the two biggest mistakes people make, the number one mistake, and now this is not my opinion, this is from sitting for 25 years 
with hundreds and hundreds of modelers and talking to thousands of hours on the phone with people and meeting them at shows. The number one pe- mistake people make is they overthink things. Oh, yeah. Um, so much. I, you know, I, I can't find local driftwood. Local driftwood. It doesn't matter. There's a million other things you can use to stain wood. Besides <laughs> and we've, we've run into that quite a bit with um, just just kind of putting ourselves out there because we put a lot of photos on uh, on our Facebook and our Instagram and everything else a lot of photos of kits we're building and a lot of we'll talk about a lot of things we're doing and every week now for almost 100 weeks we've been talking about what we're working on and from time to time we'll get people to comment or or send us emails that say like oh well, I can't believe you're doing it this way you should do it that way and it's it's so and they're they're going by the old standards you know um, right and I hate right. that I'm not going to throw this group out there to to intentionally but I'm going to do it and uh a lot of the times we'll get people that come back and they'll say, well, the NMRA standards for model building say blank for the master model or whatever. And, and right. And, and I just, my dad and I take the philosophy of kind of like you said earlier, well, we don't like that. We want to do it different. And that's just how we want to do it. Right. Yeah. want to be inclusive, not exclusive. Exactly. And, and look, if you're going to be manufacturing wheel sets, um, or, or you need, or a box car and you need to have clearances and, and wheel it. flanges. You have to have standards. And the MRA has done such Absolutely. a good job of that. Absolutely. But 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 nobody's going to tell me the best way to weather because there is no right answer. Exactly. Right. It, it just it, it, and that's exactly part of what's makes what makes the hobby inclusive is every, every there, there's a place for everybody's techniques and everybody's right. skills. Yep. Um, because if if you're new, your skill level probably isn't going to be as good as the guy who's built fifty kits and has a, a ten thousand square foot layout. No, but you're but gonna you're gonna create your own. You can, right? You'll be there someday. You'll create your own path to to whatever you and, feel is your best model. And, and hopefully, through the trial and error process, you'll idolize. For us, it was George Selios. Whose isn't George Selios? But right for us, it was his. But now that we're getting better and we're we're constantly honing in on our skills, when we post our stuff, it's got its own style. Now we idolize certain modelers, but we've we initially set out to kind of mimic one way, but then we break from that mold and you start to create your own look and your own yeah. style. And that's what's yeah, awesome. Like I said about earlier. It. Now you were saying about the, you right in the middle of that, we cut you off. I'm oh, sorry about that. It was, you were saying about the driftwood, the flocal driftwood and the flocal driftwood right. that everybody wants to get. Right. Right. And where were, yeah, you, where were you going with well, that? So, so, the two, so like I said, thank you, because I, I, I have ADD, so we got off track. And I, I had, I was we all do. Thinking, and and I've, I've got a friend of mine texting me. I'm a big Washington Nationals fan. Oh, so okay. they, they had a really big win last oh, night. I watched that. Mine. Yeah, we don't want to get up on that sidetrack, because then I'm going to forget what I'm saying. But, so I have a friend texting me about that on top of it, this, this oh, no. crazy friend of mine. So, uh, so I'm tuned three things at once and and my brain doesn't work that way but so the two the two things that people my biggest quote the two mistakes people make overthinking things and there's nothing wrong with overthinking but well, the problem with overthinking is it gets in the way of doing and i'm i don't have a problem with people that are armchair modelers or collectors and don't want to build they i mean i collect stuff i mean collecting things is enjoyable and and it puts money into a hobby there's nothing wrong with collecting um, I say all the time, my kits are a commodity. I never get offended when somebody sells one of my kits on eBay. I never get offended when somebody changes something or switches it up or, or adds another kit to it. I mean, it's a commodity. You buy it, right. enjoy it how you want to. 
So that's the number one thing is, is overthinking because it gets in the way of doing. And then the other thing that people, they use too much, too much chalk, too much weathering powder, too much alcohol, too much paint. Because obviously it's a lot easier to, you know, add than it is to take away. Mm-hmm. So, right. You know. Cool. So okay. let's uh, let's get through the rest of these patron questions and um, kind of kind of work towards a wrap up for this. So because <laughs> I feel like you and I and us can all talk all night about well, a million I told, different things. I told an hour, and we're we're, well, we're killing it now. All right. but, I mean, we'll oh, go I'm as long as possible. You oh, guys good, are easy good. to talk to. We're having a great time. So, so yeah, good, we, good. We, we, we'll talk until you say shut up. All right, all right. sounds good. good. So let's uh, let's go through the rest of our Patreon questions. We only have a couple of them. Um. Ken Anderson or Ken A was asking, what type of mold do you use to make your awesome detail parts? You did talk about that earlier, um, so we won't right. hit on that. But his second question is, how long does a structure kit from design to manufacturer usually take you? Um, so what's like in a in a shortened version, because I know that could be a whole other hour probably, is kind of what is your design process and creation process look like and how long does that usually take? Um, there's no real answer to that because it depends a hundred percent on the kit. There mm-hmm. are some kits that might take weeks. Um, and then there are like the twin mills at Deer Creek, which I, I kind of, I, I, I'm going to use that as an example. Cause I kind of feel like out of all the kits I've done when I'm gone and, and nobody remembers my name, that kit will be remembered. Um, cause it's just been, it's been in so many layouts. It's been in so many that's, magazines. That's another it's, one too. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, I said about the shipyard. But this one here is also I've seen it a lot. It's a great. Yeah, it, it just it's kind of my to me it's kind of like my signature kit. I mean, mm-hmm. I, there may be one five years from now that I feel is more so, but um, that kit probably took me four or five years to do. So, um, you know, the process we kind of touched on a little bit. I mean, I usually do start with a logo. Um, I mean, I have an I get an idea. I want okay, I want to do this. The riverfront, good example. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine and, and we were mulling around different projects and ideas that I had. And, um, I was just all in, I wanted a barge scene. Mm-hmm. I wanted a trestle over some water. I wanted some shoots, you know, whether it be, um, you know, ore or coal or sand or liquid, you know, oil, kerosene, whatever. Um, I, I wanted a barge. And, um, then we started talking about adding this and adding that. And so it just, over about a year of just talking with somebody on the phone, it evolved into the kit design. And then there's another year of development. So there's, there's no, there's no one process and there's definitely no time frame. Um, they take, they take the time they take. I mean, I'll make a change. I'll twist a roof angle, mm-hmm. um, you know, turn a building 90 degrees and then I'll just, I've got a shelf over my workbench that I, is, if I'm working on a kit, that shelf is reserved for the kit in development and I'll just stare at it. I'll, I'll <laughs> drop some parts real quick, um, in illustrator, laser cut it real fast and, you know, out of just plain cardboard, yeah. um, uh, tape up the walls and then just sit there and stare at it for a few days nice. um, and see if I like the changes I made. So yeah, that, that's really the only consistent part of the process is, is that that physical aspect of it the you know the, the cutting of a of a of a temporary cardboard mock-up and then just looking at it and seeing if i like the composition right it seems like it's pretty common with most of the model manufacturers to use a like a chipboard or cardboard mock-up um yeah it's, it's cheap it's quick it's easy yeah um, you got I mean, a whole bunch I, of it it's more disposable yeah. than, than than actual yeah, scale exactly. lumber well dave exactly. Ferrari, when we had him on he was telling us how he put cardboard mock-ups on just about every building on his layout before he does them so yeah i mean it, it's a brilliant way to to i mean because 
you know, there are some people, and I'm not one of them, but there are some people that can visualize in 3D yeah, exceptionally well. <laughs> no, I can't either. I mean, I, I, I joke that I look at, I mean, you know, my, my idea of being an artist is drawing a stickman figure. I mean, I, I look <laughs> at the world in 2D. Um, right. So for me, I have to have that three-dimensionality. I have a, um, I think it's a, a cake decorators use them. To, oh, yeah. They put their cake on the turntable and they turn it and they decorate their cake and it's it's metal it's old i don't even know where i got it it's old and it's uh, cast iron and it it looks like it came out of an episode of american pickers um, <laughs> and and i mean seriously cuz it's like rusty and kind of nasty looking but i'll put the models on that and then just you know sit there and give it a little tap with my finger cuz it's got you know well oiled bearings and the thing will just slowly spin for 30 seconds um, cuz i just yeah, I mean, I just I can't visualize something in two dimension. I mean, I'll talk to somebody on the phone. I have a, a friend of mine, Brian Marriott, who um, he's a I don't know, he's like fifteen different kinds of engineers, of, of engineering, and he um, he it's like he's my go to guy. If I want to know, okay, I'm doing this this oil delivery pipe. How big of a diameter would the pipe have been? And he knows. I mean, you know, he doesn't have to look it up. He knows. Um, so he's always describing things to me, and I'm like, Brian, I can't visualize that. Send me a drawing. <laughs> you're, ta- you're talking to a 2D mind in 3D. Don't work that way, my friend. So yeah, it, it's got to be got to be cardboard, you know, taped up and stared at for a week. And That's a great on, idea so. with the turntable thing. I, yeah, you I, can I, probably I, pick I use them it up. in modeling all the time too. You can buy the cake decorating turntables. So like, yeah, I have on I have a Timero one. It's a small one though. It's a, from the paint company. For, I bet for, you. For, yeah. And I could use that, but it's really small. I bet you are are. Um, necessary evil Amazon has them for like 10 bucks oh, or yeah, less. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And you know, the thing that I found, my, one of my daughters is a, um, you know, is, is a, she's not a professional baker. I can't think of the right word for it. She, but she bakes a lot, you know, for family and friends. Yeah. And, um, she has several that, um, there's, there's like the cheap, cheap ones that don't turn very smoothly. And then you move up into like the 12, $15 range. So we're not talking about a lot of money. No, and and they're they're very smooth, um, and they're the type of things where you can just tap it and it'll slowly spin for thirty yeah. seconds. So I see. Yeah, here. those work yeah. really good, and they're they're really handy when you're modeling because you right. can, you know, just spin something around. Because <laughs> let's face it, I mean, how many times you turn something, oh grab it up, and spin it in your hand? I mean, how many and you know chimneys or stacks or rafter tails? If you little railings and stuff you bust, and oh, yeah, exactly, tails, exactly. and then you end up yeah. you end up down there swearing at yourself for twenty minutes. And yeah. You know, Exactly. So yeah, you're exactly. right. On Amazon, they go from like the <laughs> seven ninety nine, and then there's like the that's like the low lane, low range, and then there's yeah, you don't you don't want that. That's no. That then there's like the fifteen well. to twenty dollar range, and then you have like and the, those work great. The seventy dollar yeah. cake turner. You don't need that. So the yeah. fifteen to twenty dollar no, no, range. No, no. They work great. They work great. I, mean, huh. I know a lot of people that have bought them. Oh, and you know one thing we can can we deviate for one minute? Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. I I have found in my years that something that people don't do well is light their workbench properly. Yes. And I'm guilty of that because when I turned, you know, 40-ish and my eyes started, you know, heading in, you know, myopathy, old old person eyes, mm-hmm. um, I would sit there at the workbench struggling to see what I was doing. And I started getting frustrated because my paint lines weren't sharp anymore. Um, you know, just my modeling was going downhill and I'm thinking, man, I can't be at 40. Uh, I mean, this was almost 20 years ago. So, I mean, you know, but I can't be at 40 already going downhill in my modeling. That, that, <laughs> that's not acceptable. And I was actually 
whining and complaining about it one day with a friend of mine who happened to be older than me in person. We were modeling together and he whipped off his readers and handed them to me. And he's like, you idiot, put these on. And I put them on. I'm like, whoa, look at that. And that led to a couple conversations with um, an eye doctor. And he said, well, yeah, you need to magnify, but you also need to light your workbench better. And so what I recommend, because I, I mean, people send me pictures and I'm so grateful when I get pictures unsolicited or solicited, it doesn't matter, of my models that people have built. I love seeing what my customers have done. Mm -hmm. But the lighting and the quality of the photography isn't important. But what I notice in a lot of pictures is the lighting is terrible. And so that has led to a lot of conversations. In today's world, um, you can get really inexpensive LED bulbs, whether it's on Amazon, which is what made me think about this, or Home Depot or whatever, and just overlight your workbench. You can't have too much light. And I think for a lot of people, I've gotten a lot of folks over the years have thanked me for telling them that because not only does it make their photography better, but um, they can actually see what the heck they're doing. And you can buy LED daylight bulbs, which is that nice, clean, bright, white light. The pure light, not the blue light. Correct. Correct. No blue, no yellow, no green. Pure white light. Mm -hmm. And it's inexpensive. I have a a really nice jeweler's light that has a, it's called a rheostat where you can turn the intensity up and down. Yeah. Um, And you don't don't need something like that. I mean, I I come out of the jewelry industry, so I instantly turn to to that type (laughs) of stuff. But, um, you know, you can get inexpensive swing arm desk lamps on on Amazon with the LED bulbs and yeah, replace the plastic. Clamp we're we're big clamp. advocates of the uh, Michaels Ot lights. Uh, well, you see, that's it. The Ot lights are awesome, and you can use coupon on them. And they're small. And I got these LED up on my bulbs. desk. <laughs> right, and if right, you're smart, well, right? See, exactly. If but you're smart, you can use coupon. Yep, yeah, there you go. And there you go. Joanne's too. I don't know if you have Joanne's. Yeah, Joanne's we do. Does yeah, as well. Yeah. Yes, but so yeah, you know, yeah. Ot lights can be a little pricey. Some of them are. Some of them do get pretty pricey, but as long as you shop them right, you can get some good lighting. Just like you said, with the jeweler's I, I, I lights and everything 20 else. To, Twenty to thirty dollars with my coupons at any any of the stores. Michael's, AC well, and actually, or wherever uh, a jo- right. fabrics, and right. uh, you know, just it, they're usually found in the near the sewing sections. It's it's yep, stores. exactly. It's exactly. funny you brought this, and, and that's so important. It's so important. So it's it's funny you brought this up tonight, Brett, because uh, I recently. We, <laughs> it's so sad. Our the evolution of our lighting in our basement has gone from really, really sad to really, really nice, and it's gradually getting cool. nicer. But I have an old fluorescent tube, which is the you can I could buy the LED uh, replacement for the fluorescent tubes, but I wait. I'm waiting till they burn out. But um, there you go. I have the natural white, the the actual white white outdoor light. Um, yep. But in the two foot tube, and I have it. I have to wire it. I bought the junction boxes and everything, but that used to hang over just one two foot tube and sadly a Dewalt spot uh, work lamp. The two the two the two head Dewalt work lamp. We clamped it to a, a rafter in my basement and used that to originally start our layout. It was so sad. And, uh, uh, right? No, I mean we all started with. But that. That's where everybody starts. So right. now now we got all new lighting over the work over the the layout, which yeah, is bright and it's it it's took, took time. That's it's all. the natural lighting. We did it right. We did it the right way. But now I have this old two foot fluorescent lamp, as well as two out lights and uh, a workbench light over my workbench and. 
once I get that other one wired, it's gonna look like I'm standing out uh, in the middle of a field in, the, in pure in noon sun compared to what it is now. Right. So, well, right. No, I always tell people I my workbench at night you could land a plane by. Oh yeah. I mean, I, my my house is underneath the Dallas Fort Worth airport. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, landing. I love watching planes. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, so I mean, they come by. I mean, you hear them and see them all day long. But I'm always worried at night that one of them is going to get confused. By <laughs> but you need you need that light, especially yeah. as our eyes get older. It's so important. And I never, it never, I never would have thought it or had a conversation with anybody. But because I get all these pictures of people that have you're showing me their kits, um, I can see the quality of the lighting because it, the pictures may not be well lit. And I'm like man, are you not, what kind of lights do you have? And they're like, oh, I got a reading lamp. I'm like, no. <laughs> you don't realize how much your eyes are struggling to focus and work. And you, you will enjoy modeling more if you light it better. Exactly. It, you don't so realize, true. you don't know what you're missing until you know what you were missing. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. But right. So uh, I'll, I'll stop talking about lighting, but nope. I, didn't want, I didn't want to fail to mention that. That's we were talking f- about Amazon. That's fine. That, so. uh, we, have, we have two last questions, two more questions, and they should be quick ones. Um, well, one should be a quick one. Uh, Ron Kleiss from MyMount Models is asking uh, when your next kit is coming out. And I know you talked about that, and we know you why you said you're not going to release the date. So we won't get into that very well. But Ron, 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 well, I was going to say Ron got his answer earlier when you said you don't like to commit to that. So, um, yeah, it's not that I don't like to commit to it. It's just that I'm always hesitant. But I'm I'm shooting for Christmas. Okay, that's my we won't hold my target. We no one heard that. We no one will hold you to it. But uh, you you know that's that it's uh, there. There is a big demand, obviously, and you know that you're not you're not jaded. You know that there's a uh, they like to see when you guys are going to put new stuff out. So. all right, last one is from this guy is from Australia. So this is a this is a question from the opposite side of the globe. So uh, Dazzy J is asking, what is your main inspiration and drive behind your kits? So what kind of was your fuel to to create your kits? And I know we kind of hit on that earlier, but was there a thing that was a deep burning fire? Like I really want to make kits rather than just model. Yeah, George, and and that that early childhood days in 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 chicago and and and, you know buying the early fine scale kits the the logging repair shed the ezra cooper's garage that era um i think they were like 36.95 they were 37 bucks and that's Mm -hmm. a lot of well well that's a lot of two dollar lawns to mow man back then though for a lot of lawn mowing and at your age that was like a month that's you know you said you were that was yeah i mean yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up in a pretty typical middle class household, but my parents weren't handing me forty bucks to go buy a, a exactly. model. Right. I mean, so yes. I got on my little banana yellow Schwinn and, and rode down to the hobby <laughs> store and after I saved my little forty bucks up. But uh, yeah, I mean that was my inspiration because yeah. um that that I had been building a Timberline and a Campbell. Um I mean I, I think my first model I ever got my parents gave me as a birthday present was Brett's Brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, although it was spelled wrong, right, Brett? Yeah, um, I know. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, that always bummed me out. And that's but, from uh, um, Brett's Brewery. Was was that a that was an FOS or? Uh, no, uh, uh, Campbell. That's a Campbell. Yeah. Yes, I tried to yeah. buy that from someone over the hol- last holiday, and uh, someone was selling it on like one of those Craigslist or Facebook yard sales. Right. And uh, I missed out on it, and I was so upset because I was going to add an extra T to it. So. Uh, <laughs> exactly what I did. That's exactly yeah, that's exactly what I did. Hey, when you're right, you're right, right? right? <laughs> you but, gotta be. Um, 
you know, for whatever reason, I mean, when I started building, like I said, the, the owner of the hobby shop, I wish I could remember the name of the hobby shop, the owner of the hobby shop um, saw what I was buying, and those were like 12 to $15 kits, and he was actually a, a very nice gentleman. I mean, he, he didn't, I mean, there were several fine scale kits he gave me a nice discount on because he wanted me to build them, and um, I don't remember which was my first one. I want to say Ezra Cooper's garage, but that may not be accurate. But just that, that left such an impression on me over the years that um, I didn't grow up thinking, oh, I want to be a kit manufacturer. It happened totally by accident. Right. But the combination of that with discovering the old dioramas that my mother wanted me to remove from the closet, just a few little things and the baby being born and no longer getting to go out to dinner and fun. Yep. Just joking. Um, you know, just led, just led to it. So, hey, I'm there now. Um, yeah, the I, I would say, yeah, the real, yeah, you are there now. You're deep in it now. Um, <laughs> I, I have a, a very dear friend of mine whose wife, right now, she may not be in actual labor, but they're at the hospital. So their first child is uh, a girl, is, is being born sometime in the next 24 hours. And he was so focused and pissed off on the fact that him and his wife, not literally pissed off, couldn't um, get a movie in. Um, this weekend before the baby was born. So, Alex, good luck to you and your wife. But um, <laughs> it's um, – I know he listens to this podcast. But it's, well, uh, um, definitely definitely those those fine-scale kits, I think, would be the the, the true inspiration for, yeah. for me doing what I do today. So nice. Thank you, George. Now, i got a question for you on that. Let's, let's, let's roll off that real quick. That was the last set of patron questions, by the way. Oh, so we can – yeah. Now, he mentioned that, that he built those kits, and, and that was an inspiration for him. And now we know he does he designs and manufactures kits, but do you do you ever just build another kit just to build another kit, or do you now, still build now? Now I used to, but I've just I, it, at this point, um, you know, I have two lives. I'm, I'm a kit man. I'm divorced. I've been divorced seven years. Right. Um, which is a bummer. I don't like being divorced, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I have two lives. I have a personal life and a manufacturing life. And the manufacturing life is about 90% of the day, the waking hours. So the last thing I want to do with my personal time is, is build. Right. Um, right. So if I'm going to spend 12 or 14 hours modeling, I need to make that part of right. the business. So sure. um, that, of course, is the traditional complaint most small business people have is you take a hobby um, and you no longer get to enjoy the hobby. But see, I don't buy into that. I get to enjoy my business twenty four. I get to talk train. Well, I mean, I, I get to at, at eleven o'clock in the morning. Instead of feeling guilty that I'm talking trains with somebody, I'm earning a living doing it. I mean, right. I, I feel really fortunate to get what I get to do. Um, so yeah, so yeah. There's not much. There's there's not much. There's no free time modeling right now. Right. Maybe someday, nice. but not right now. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think that's great. We well, covered a lot of ground. We did. Tonight. We were all over the place on this one. Right. So we, for sure, we didn't even have a game plan tonight. We came <laughs> into this. We, you know, usually sometimes I'll write. Not all the time, but a lot of times I'll write questions down, especially if I haven't talked with this person before. And um, and, and we didn't do that this time because I, I I had this feeling after talking to you earlier in the week that when I made a mistake on the time of the night that we were doing this, but I had this, um, I had this feeling that we were going to, this is, it was going to be very easy to talk with you about, about all these different things. And, um, and, and after reading your website and seeing all the tips and pointers and everything else and the, and the forum, by the way, everybody needs to go to, um, Sierra West scale models.com. 
It's just as it sounded. Sierra West models, uh, scale models. Scale models. Um, correct. And go there and then check out, check out the forum. I mean, definitely check out the forum. Check out everything that's on his site with uh, all the all the kits. You know, uh, pop a kit. You know, pop a kit on the on the shopping cart <laughs> if you want. But um, uh, get in contact with with him as well about getting becoming a uh, forum member. But um, there are some amazing modelers in there with some amazing ideas and tips. And some of the some of the forums that are out there now, uh, other forums that I've been to, um, and I'm not going to not not the modelers forum. That's also a very good forum. That's a whole different ecosystem. Right. Exactly. Uh, but some of the some of but, the stuff but it's that's out similar. There. But John, I look at the modelers form. It is very similar to my mm-hmm. form. Yeah, it's yes. just a different ecosystem. It's got right. talented modelers that are building different kits. But right. it is very similar. Yeah, and, and sure. a lot of the techniques and stuff that they share are very similar. However, yes, um, on on both of those, and in particular yours, that the, the uh, links and things that they put up there aren't out of date. They're all there. They're they're you know the the people that are sharing this are sharing photos. And uh, links to uh, videos and things like that um, I've found on there. And they're all, you know, for the most part, everything's pretty up to date on that. And, um, you know, the, the products that they're using are, are stuff that you can acquire and uh, still acquire, not out, well, you know, and no longer out of production. The techniques. I mean, right. I, you have to have techniques that are accessible for people uh-huh. um, to reproduce. I mean, because if, yeah. if the technique is 40 steps long, Mm-hmm. I can't remember it. How how am I going to teach you to do it? So, <laughs> exactly. I really I really want to encourage anybody that has any questions or comments, um, or just wants to ask me a question about a technique or something. It's not not necessarily. Hey, I want to buy a kit. I mean, don't ever hesitate to call me. If right. you click on my any any page of my website has contact on there, just click on that. I'm easy to get a hold of, and I, I, people don't ever call me and say I hate to bother you. You're not bothering me. I love talking about modeling, so call <laughs> me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to discuss it. I mean, like you said, we didn't have to have a game plan because I love to talk. So we're all well. Well, on that note, in the future here, we would like to have you back on as a guest again, and we can talk about you know some of the techniques and things we we kind of cover. Yeah, a little bit of modeling technique. I'd love to to do. Yeah, I'd love to do just a podcast on just techniques. I'd love to do that. That would be awesome. Let's let's arrange that. We will contact you and make that happen. Cool. Excellent. Excellent. Sweet. Gentlemen, thank you. I had a great time. I really did. Thank you, You Brett.